Heavenly Father, I thank you. I thank you for quieting our hearts when we consider that you're the one who's sovereign over all things. And that you even see us and our eternal prospect as most critically important, that we would understand it well, that they would that we would know the depths of your concern for us and your working even day by day in our lives, that that we would be in the very center of your plan and your work. That's just the most wonderful thing to learn and certainly comforting when we consider all the circumstances of the world that uh, we see happening around us and we are anxious about many things too. Uh, Beyond what's reasonable, we are because, Father, we do cast our eyes on earthly things quite often. So, Father, I just pray that you would deliver us from that. We would have a reasonable perspective, a proper and educated and uh, spiritual view of what's happening in the world. Father, there are many opportunities uh, through these challenges that we face, our, our families face, our loved ones and this nation, and the nations of the world. Many challenges, but that's leading many to turn uh, to other sources of peace and comfort, Father. We pray that they would turn to the truth and not the lies. The lies are everywhere, and certainly the enemy is uh, taking advantage of these crises and even has uh, created some of the crises uh, for Satan's advantage. So, Father, I just pray that you'd give us boldness and all those that know the truth, that we might be bold to share the truth, the word of the living God, your word, rightly divided. And may your grace be abundantly presented, reflected by us in our lives, and may others receive it with open hearts and open arms. Father, we're very concerned about what's happening in far places, in uh, Afghanistan, where our troops were removed in some way, even without even notifying the local authorities being left behind. What a sad, sad thing. Disgraceful kind of uh, uh, response to the circumstances there. Father, I pray that those that have worked with us rather than against us there would receive some kind of protection that we might uh, offer them whatever we're able to be a benefit, to be a a protector, really, a deliverer for those that have sacrificed so much for so long. And uh, that you would somehow, Father, bring those decades of involvement there to an end that's honorable and not dishonorable and that those that have suffered so much, we know they have not suffered in vain, but Father, I I just pray that that would be evident. Father, I pray for those that are concerned about uh, the governments of this world and what they're involved in, China in particular, threatening and causing many to be extremely anxious about what they may do next to uh, even gain greater power in 
that part of the world. We think of Taiwan in particular, but of course there are similar challenges in the Mideast regarding Israel and its enemies, Father, and our nation being so weak now and our own commitment more clearly revealed in the past and now uh, no longer revealed. Are we truly standing on the right side, Father? We ask that question. Father, I, I pray for those that are even challenged in their hearts here regarding our own government doing things here in our own nation, uh, investigating, uh, um, using the powers of government against individual citizens who happen to be of a different political persuasion and, and the rapid advance uh, of uh, our government in, in fostering evil lies everywhere uh, through its activities and through the funding that's provided for the school systems and the promotion of groups that are truly evil. Father, I, we're just overwhelmed to consider it. And the many innocent, truly innocent lives have been lost, Father, uh, even before birth. Father, it's just breaking our hearts. Please uh, turn the tide, Father, and may we see you working to deliver us from these evils. Um, Father, as we now look into your word again, I pray that it would be a great blessing to us. And uh, we're so thankful, Father, for your good care and protection for us all and for encouraging us through your word, not only on Sunday morning, Father, but always throughout the week, every time. We open your word every time we consider the word that's already been written in our hearts, Father. We give thanks to you. Thank you again in Christ's name. Amen. Well, I think I've asked this question before. I'll ask it again. Um, because it's an important question. We've been spending much time looking into the book of Acts in the last uh, three, nearly three quarters of a year, I think it's been maybe a little longer even. And as we've done that, we've seen how there's a great movement uh, there of God's working in the direction of God's abundant grace. It's a great transition period, right? And when that transition period begins, right after Paul is saved, God is still very much reaching out to Israel and to the Jews. When that transition period ends, Acts chapter 28, verse 28, uh, God is no longer reaching out directly to Jews as Jews, as those that are under covenants and promises that were still being uh, applied, that were still being supported, and there was still a direct ministry to them as a result of that. Uh, Paul was set forth to the Jews first, but when they increasingly rejected their own Messiah through his preaching, he set them aside place by place, synagogue by synagogue, and finally reaches Rome. Acts ends with that account there as Paul 
speaks to the elders of Israel there who meet him in his bondage. He's under house arrest at the time, I think under Emperor Claudius, under house arrest, and reveals, of course, what he's been preaching to the Jews everywhere, and they reject that message. And he says, okay, that's the end. Now we go to the Gentiles, and they will receive it. And so from that point on, there is a dominant uh, focus in his ministry towards Gentiles, no longer the Jew first. In fact, the message changes dramatically. Paul is no longer limited in what he says, since God's still reaching out to Israel earlier. And he's still giving signs, wonders, and miracles, and uh, many blessings are poured out in accordance with that uh, ministry to the Jews first. But um, now, after the end of the book of Acts, in what's called the post-Acts period, the, uh, the time of his letters to the churches written from prison, right? Uh, in this time, the fullness of grace is revealed without any limitations that have anything to do with God's previous dispensational ministries to Israel. So, the stops are all pulled out, and I think that uh, Christ's own teaching of Paul continued during those years, and so he had much more to share about the riches of God's grace than he had ever shared before. But you you know he had laid a foundation already in Ephesus. So when the Ephesians received this letter written to them, they already had a foundation. He'd been there three years nearly teaching them. Imagine having Paul in your midst for three years. What would he have taught, right? And even though he was limited in what he could teach at that time, and, and perhaps also greatly limited in how much he himself really understood of God's abundant grace and how God would change the dispensational plan radically as it was made mature, as it was, the revelation became complete. Um, still, um, you know, Paul in your midst, he was teaching them, I think, a lot from the Old Testament even, that they might understand that better. So we get to the letter to the Ephesians, and uh, how can you help but read it and not realize that uh, this teaching is thoroughly heavenly in every way. It, it, it requires the Spirit of God removing our great blindnesses in every area to comprehend it. And uh, it's just one verse after another of solid spiritual food that's applicable to today. There are only a few things in Ephesians that... Uh, are not applicable today. It has to do with a couple of spiritual gifts that are no longer given, namely the gift of apostle and the gift of prophet. I believe everything else there in Ephesians is applicable to the days in which we live now. Grace is fully available to all today. So let's just hardly review from previous weeks, um, you know that uh, 
chapters one through three, though, which we've spent some serious time in, uh, give us the foundations of uh, grace teaching, really. Chapters one through three are very foundational. They're highly doctrinal and highly dispensational. The word dispensation is mentioned three times in those chapters. No other letter in the scripture that uses that word that way so much. Um, and so those three chapters are absolutely foundational. And then the next three chapters, very practical teaching is given, really applying the teaching that was given earlier there in the letter. Uh, we'll look into chapter four today. But the foundations have been laid in verses, in chapters uh, three, three, and, and chapter one, which is introductory, and then chapter two, which is a transition to three. Um, chapter two says much about the body of Christ and how it operates uh, and how critical it is. And chapter three then uh, goes on to reveal the uh, really the uh, not simply an outline, but really many details concerning the working of God under grace during the dispensation of the grace of God. It is this letter that uses that designation for this dispensation. Only there do you find that uh, description given. That this dispensation, the one we're in now, is the dispensation of the grace of God. What that means is that God's working today is uh, especially focused on the revelation of his grace and the uh, communication of that grace um, through the word of God and by the spirit of God to believers who then possess it fully and can take advantage of it, live in the light of it, be empowered by it, and share it with others. And that's, of course, the whole uh, essence of what this dispensation is all about. Will God's people receive that grace? Well, did they receive the law when they were under the law? No, they did not. Not for the most part. Uh, they were idolaters, right? They were simply religionists. Uh, they were legalists uh, in the wrong sense. And uh, so one could conclude that the same would be true today. How many will receive the riches of God's grace today? Well, we see no, that it's not that many. But it's not a numbers game with God. He never plays a numbers game uh, as mankind would and praise his name for that, right? Okay, so in chapter 3 is revealed the essence of the dispensation, the working, the administration of God according to his rich and overflowing and unlimited grace and how so many have become heirs of that through the preaching and teaching of that message and uh, how that changes really everything for us. Uh, Paul mentions the unsearchable riches of Christ. He mentions the sharing in the blessings of those heavenly benefits that have been granted to us that were not known before because of a number of reasons. One is that uh, it had never been revealed before. Not until Paul was the dispensation of the mystery, the sacred secret of grace revealed, right? 
it was hidden in God, uh, is written there in chapter 3. Not, sim- not hidden in the scriptures to be somehow pulled out of the Old Testament, but hidden in God. Nobody could know it, and even the spirit beings in the heavenlies couldn't know it until it was revealed. And what Paul says, and I think this must have been pretty eye-opening for all of you, which is that one of the major challenges we face today is revealing the riches of God's grace to the heavenly beings who are watching us to learn what God is doing today under grace. Grace to them is something revolutionary, to say the least, right? They know all about law. They know all about being held accountable for uh, rebellion against God because uh, how many of them lost their position through rebellion, right? And God judged them accordingly. And Satan was the great leader, and God judged him just at the very beginning for, in his mind, uh, rebelling against God, uh, seeking to be over God himself and uh, with the Lord God, the creator and sustainer, subservient to him, right? So he was judged and all those that aligned with him were judged. So the angelic beings, the seraphim and the cherubim, they all know about uh, God's justice according to legal principles. But do they know his grace? Well, they're learning about it, Paul says, and they're learning about it, one would hope, through us. So that's our challenge. Well, let's go on. Let's look forward now into chapter 4, which is very practical. And there are uh, a number of aspects to this we're going to look at. First of all, in in the first verses, we'll see that there's something mentioned which is quite challenging to our minds, perhaps, and that's called the unity of the Spirit. The unity of the Spirit is mentioned, and the keeping of the unity, he says, is most critical, and there are seven aspects to that. That's in the first six verses. Then, in the next uh, verses, we see the full measure of grace that's given out today, to believers through the resurrected Christ. Then we see how the saints are being perfected through the ministry of of, uh, spiritual things uh, to God's people, how the saints are being perfected through the teaching and the ministry of God's word of grace uh, with a goal ultimately of there being another unity. He calls this the unity of the faith. And it's quite clear that's not going to be reached until the uh, calling into heaven's glory, right? But there's uh, a work in that direction as the saints are perfected day by day and hour by hour in these days in which we're living, right? All looking forward to that point when the unity of the faith will be reached. Then finally, in the last verses, we see a new kind of man, he says, <laughs> revealed. The new man, the new man, is already an old man. It relates to Adam and all that he uh, brought about. But now there's the new man that's been created. 
And that is something we are experiencing today. The new man, we are all recreated in Christ Jesus. We are new. (laughs) And there are a lot of consequences of that. And he mentions them there towards the end of the chapter. So let's get started. The seven dimensions of the keeping of the unity of the Spirit. Uh, What a wonderful introduction this is by the one who calls himself the prisoner of the Lord. Okay, Tom, would you read, or rather, Patty, would you read for us uh, verses 1 through 6? I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. With all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, even as ye are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all. And in you all. Okay, thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, Oh, I still remember the day when these verses uh, had a light shined on them by the Lord, and we finally began to understand more of what's written here. That God had set aside the previous dispensational plans, where Israel and the Gentiles had different callings, different inheritances, and so forth, different places in the work of God and in the prophesied future that uh, was promised for them, Uh, different uh, between the two. But now those distinctions completely eradicated. They're gone. Uh, They no longer exist, those distinctions between Jew and Gentile and so forth. And so what does he say here? that uh, we're supposed to walk worthy. So, as I said, all of a sudden it's very practical. And he calls out as a prisoner of the Lord. He beseeches them. In other words, this is the strongest kind of exhortation possible from Paul's heart as a prisoner. (laughs) It may seem strange to you that he'd be a prisoner with such a great message. Uh, But it all has to do with the riches of God's grace being revealed, right? Paul as a prisoner was a free man in the Lord. (laughs) Ah, yes. He says, walk worthy of the calling wherewith you are called. Okay? So there is a calling. It's it's been already uh, set forth. That doesn't mean... You have to somehow create a calling or look for one or something like that. It's already there, right? In fact, this whole passage is about what's already been accomplished. And if you learn only one thing today, it would be that critical teaching uh, that these things are already accomplished. What's not accomplished is the keeping of it, okay? Uh, Okay, so let's explain what that's all about. He says, endeavoring... Well, actually, I shouldn't leave out verse 2. As as the prisoner of the Lord, he says, with all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love. Okay? So Paul has, 
he says the right attitude as he uh, <clears throat> expresses this, and he wants us to have the right attitude too as we endeavor. In other words, we need to have the mind of Christ in all of this as we endeavor, as we as we work hard, as we're diligent, as we're fully engaged in, he says, keeping the unity of the Spirit. Keeping it. Okay, he's not saying you need to go out and create unity with uh, all the forces of evil uh, or with other people and all of their different groups and, and uh, assemblies and so forth, but somehow we need to make a unity. <laughs> That's what the worldwide false church uh, believes they have to do, right? That's what Satan actually wants you to do, is to create a unity uh, everywhere you can. That's not what... Uh, Paul is endeavoring to share here. No, this is about keeping a unity that's of the Spirit that God has already accomplished. Keeping it means to protect it, to watch over it, to guard it, to honor it. Okay? It it means to recognize it and to promote it. It's already been created there. The unity of the Spirit already exists. You cannot make it. You cannot produce it. You can live according to it. You can honor it. You can foster it uh, through your uh, faithful uh, living and uh, sharing of the love of God through Jesus Christ, right? But keeping it is a different sort of thing. And I've mentioned this quite a few times over the years here. This word keep is used in the old English sense, right? As the the keep in the castle was where the uh, crown jewels were kept, okay? <laughs> Protected against enemies. They were kept there. Uh, we still use the word in English a little bit. Uh, when you say, for example, well, in keeping with uh, the principles of our Constitution, in keeping with, that means honoring, protecting, and uh, and living in a way consistent with. Okay, so the keeping of the unity of the Spirit is to recognize that unity has already been created by who? The Spirit of God, okay? He says, keep it in the bond of peace, and then he gives the seven dimensions. And these are all realities already. You don't create a body or one spirit or a one Lord or one faith, or, you know, these are already there, laid down by God himself. It's all accomplished through the finished work of Christ. So he says, uh, there are these unities already existing, and we're supposed to honor them. Okay, so what are they? One body, not not two, not Jews, Gentiles. There's only one body that the Spirit of God creates, right? There's one spirit, not one that acts one way for one group because it's part of the prophetic plan. A different group uh, receives the benefits of the spirit in another way. Now, there's only one spirit, <clears throat> not multiple, not two. It's only one hope of calling. It's not as if there's an, a special promised land for some people and not for others and so forth and so on. Twelve tribes get this because it's their inheritance. Gentiles, something else. No, no. There's only one hope of our calling, and it's heavenly. Okay? 
our inheritance is heavenly. Uh, there's only one Lord. And see, same could be said for each of these. There's only one faith. Our faith is not uh, in any way mingled with works obedience as required by the law. Israel's was the law demanded, required their obedience. We've been freed from that. The law is set aside, okay? Not only is our salvation by grace through faith alone, independent of all works of law, our maturing is not a legalistic maturing either. It's a matter of fruit bearing according to the work of God's grace, right? There's one baptism. (laughs) Oh, my. This baptism is real. It's not symbolic, okay? This baptism is real. It's the baptism of uh, a sinner declared righteous into the uh, body of Christ. (laughs) A baptism by the Spirit. Not with the Spirit, with certain signs following, but by the Spirit into the body of Christ. And then he finally says, it's one God and Father over all. So, Okay, so that's uh, the unity of the Spirit. We're to keep, we're supposed to honor it. Anything that breaks that through practical activity, words, uh, actions, anything that would break the existence of the already existing unity in the body of Christ, is contrary to God. Okay? <clears throat> that unity is to be uh, fundamentally uh, underlying everything, right? Okay, so let's go on to the second point here, uh, verses 7 through 11, where we see that grace has been poured out, grace has been given fully to believers through the resurrected Christ. Linda, would you read those verses for us, 7 through 11? But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive, and gave gifts unto men. Now that he ascended, what is it but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? That he that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens, that he might fulfill all things. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. Thank you, Linda. Okay, so the risen and ascended Christ has poured out grace. Okay? Grace, he says. You're thinking about the gifts, special gifts. He says it's grace. Unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. In other words, (laughs) this is poured out fully by Christ. It's his grace gift, in other words, to all of us. And it's manifested in different ways. It's every member of the body has a different function. But some even have special designated positions, as he refers to here, and mentions just a few of them, and those are apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. Okay, Uh, some of those even would pass away at the end of the transition period, I believe, and uh, or after that, some would continue, but not for long, right? Um, 
and uh, that's the apostles and the prophets. But today I believe we still have the remaining ones listed here. Okay. Now, every member of the body has the gift of grace, but they don't all have these special gifts uh, that have to do with the ministry of God's word in a special way uh, before the assemblies, right? Um, or the reaching out to the lost in a very special way in the case of evangelism. I mean, you probably know some who are evangelists. There's really no question about it. You yourself may not be an evangelist, uh, but that doesn't mean God doesn't use you, even with the lost on occasion, but uh, that's not your special gift, right? Okay, so that's uh, very important to see that grace is poured out, uh, and it happens through the ministry of the word of grace. Okay, now the third part we'll look at here is how that word of grace and those gifts that pouring out of grace is used to perfect the saints, uh, verses 12 through 16. Uh, but we'll start reading in verse 11. So, Sarah, would you please read from 11 to 16? And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. So we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro, and carried with every wind of doctrine, but by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. From whom the whole from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. Thank you so much, Sarah. Uh, those are wonderful words. This is how grace works. Okay, <laughs> this is the section of scripture that really tells us, practically speaking, what the Christian life is all about. What is the Christian life all about? It's about love, special love, perfect love, redeeming love, being shared by Christ with us and then through us with others. Okay, uh, and that's what it's all about now. We see here from this passage, though, there's a direct connection between that practical benefit and the, re the sharing and the reception of the truth of grace. Okay? There's a direct connection. You don't really have the one without the other. Uh, that's the, the fact of it, spiritually speaking. So that's what Paul is saying here. He's saying God gave these special capabilities out to propagate the truth of grace, right? You see that. Verse 12, the purpose of that was the perfecting of the saints, the work of the ministry, the edifying of the body of Christ. Okay, so to build up the body of Christ spiritually requires this ministry of the word. What we see in the churches today is less and less of the ministry of the word of grace, more and more of other kinds of teachings, right? Um, 
And so the body of Christ does not have the spiritual food it needs to become mature, to grow and prosper in the faith, right? Now, the ultimate goal is mentioned in verse 13, till, in other words, this this continues on and on and on throughout the whole dispensation. This is the working of the Spirit of God in our midst as we enjoy the Lord and share the benefits of grace with others, right? Until, he says, we all come into the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man under the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So, that's the, the end goal. It's, it's set forth as, uh, you know what, <laughs> a perspective on where, where it's all going, where it's all headed. And, you know, if you, if you uh, look at it that way, that we haven't reached the unity of the faith yet. It's talking in the body. It's not talking about in the world or in the denominations or something like that, right? He's talking about in the body. The body is defined by God. It's not limited by dis- denominations or organizations, this group, that group, this assembly, that. This has to do with those who are truly in the body and the unity, which has already been established there, that we are to honor, right? And the ministry of grace in and through each of us is all with that end point in mind that there will be someday a completion of that. It'll happen when we're called into heaven's glory, okay? But there are many challenges, and he mentions them here next. He says, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine. The enemy hates the work of grace in the body. The enemy of our souls, Satan and all of his emissaries, his fellow travelers, They hate the ministry of grace and will do anything they can to shut it down. And so, therefore, they have to shut down the teaching and preaching of the word of grace. That's what this passage is saying, okay? You have to know, you have to know what God is doing in order to know what the enemy will do to thwart that, because the enemy always works to thwart the work of God, okay? Now the work of God is to administer his grace. That's what the enemy wants to shut down through legalisms, religion, special kinds of experiences that are not really, truly spiritual at all, but demonic even, etc., etc., and so on. Okay. Notice, though, that Christ's love and its Profound deepness and perfection is right in the middle of this, but it's connected with truth here, verse 15, but speaking the truth in love. You know, the literal translation of this would be truthing it in love. <laughs> he make, it, 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 it's a verb, not a noun, as translated here. Truth is a noun, of course, but the, the Greek word is, is a verb. Truthing it in love May we grow up unto him. Again, he's the goal, uh, right? And he's the head of the body, as it says here. And he ministers to the whole body, through the outpouring of grace, uh, all of these benefits. Oh, my. So every member has a God-ordained location in that 
perfect heavenly assembly, the body, right? Uh, and has something to supply that's essential, you see, to the uh, growth and maturing of the body. And so that's what he says in verse 16. So what a wonderful teaching. Well, let's continue on. The new man, as we look at the last part of the chapter, and the outworking of that new man uh, in the body of Christ. So, verse 17 through 19. Lydia, would you read those verses for us, please? This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk, in the vanity of their mind, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness in their heart who who being past feeling has have given them themselves over lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness <laughs> Amen. Thank you. Thank you Lydia. Very very good. And Elizabeth would you read uh, verses 20 through 24 please. But ye have not so learned Christ, if so be that ye have heard him, and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, that ye put off concerning the former conversation the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And that ye put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Oh, wonderful. Thank you, Elizabeth. So, he says, don't forget what you were before you came to faith in Christ. You were an unregenerate sinner of the Gentiles. <laughs> okay? living in the realm they live in and living the way they live. Now, you may not have been caught up in all of their sins, but only some of them. Maybe you weren't a murderer or, or a whatever, you know. <clears throat> but uh, your minds were darkened, he says, and you had no, no understanding, right? In fact, your hearts were blinded, he says. And, and even worse, he says, you were past feeling, uh, and giving yourselves over to these various things. Now, the unsaved uh, surrounding the Ephesian church were still living in that realm, right? And so what Paul is writing to the Ephesians about is that here you are completely separate from them. Don't forget that. And in fact, there's a new man, a new man that's being created, and you are created new in him, and this old man <laughs> needs to be set aside with all of its evil uh, tendencies and uh, weaknesses and uh, confusions, right? So he says that there needs to be a reckoning here. Uh, you put off, he says, the old and put on the new. He uses this garment uh, analogy, which is so wonderful. So the old man continues to work. Uh, each of us are drawn in that direction, and that will continue till the day uh, Christ uh, finishes his work in us, right? Uh, but the new man is there to increasingly dominate. That's God's intention for us. It's so encouraging 
to read these words. These words are words of power. To put on the new man. Notice he says, after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Righteousness and holiness today is created in us by God. It is not our work, in other words. So on every line, every page, we see the sovereignty of God at work under grace in and through us. And that brings us to the last verses. And we don't have time to speak much about them. I think we'll start here. In fact, chapter divisions don't exist. (laughs) So I think next time we'll begin here and make the chapter division uh, between verses 24 and 25. So, Tom, would you, though, please read the words for us just to uh, set us on the right course for the week yet ahead. Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry, but sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Neither give place to the devil. Let him that stole steal no more. But rather, let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good, that he may have to give to him that needeth. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, forgiven you. Thank you, Tom. I think these verses are one of the most wonderful overviews of what the life of a believer under grace is all about that could be found anywhere, right? Just in a few verses, he states it so thoroughly, so completely. Notice how grace works to accomplish these things, right? The power of grace must never be discounted. It is the power of God, not only unto salvation, but unto sanctification. That's what we're reading about here, right? Oh, my. We'll start there next time, but uh, the eternal riches of God's grace revealed here in the letter to the Ephesians is just without limit, it seems. He mentions the love of Christ being the center focus. And we're to know all the dimensions of that love, right? Uh, and that love, he says, it says the whole thing is beyond comprehension. <laughs> yeah. This is Pauline language. It's beyond comprehension, but we're all supposed to know a lot about it. And we're still learning day by day and hour by hour, aren't we? The riches of God's unlimited grace. Praise God for his grace. Oh, my. Well, that's where we stand today. Let's uh, honor, keep the unity of the Spirit in all of this, and uh, 
and look forward to even the unity of the faith someday as God's grace continues to work and to bear its fruit to the honor and praise of Almighty God. Right? Amen and amen. Well, are there any comments before we close today? Any comments? These are great words. Hope they are embedded in our hearts to transform us, because that's how we will be transformed, is by the word of his grace, right? <laughs> Remember, Paul told the Ephesian elders that way back. He said, uh, don't forget the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance, right? And amen and indeed, it is true. Let's pray. Father God, thank you, thank you, thank you. What a blessing to know you are working in this way. It's largely invisible to many who may look upon us and see that we're different, but may not know how or why. Just that, we're certainly different. Uh, but, Father, we know the difference. We know what it's all about because we have the word of your truth and grace instructing us. So, Father, I pray that we would be bold to declare that to others, that we wouldn't be silenced by the fact that the enemies are everywhere about, but uh, that we would be bold for you, Father. Yes, there will be persecution, but, uh, Father... May you strengthen us, energize us, that we might be the lights that will make the darkness alive with truth again. And may our song of grace be sung in every aspect of our lives, from now until we hear that voice, that call, and that shout, and are caught up into heaven's glory. And may, Father, we love his appearing. In his name I pray. And, and, amen. Praise God all. Praise God for the riches of his grace. And 